0: Welcome to Interscription. Today we dive into the world of TV with Stranger Things, Night Sky, which was canceled within seconds of us recording this episode, and White Lotus, and the exploration of multiple storylines within a single narrative.
1: We also cover some of the games we've been playing, which take us from the importance of pixels to the wordless exploration of the journey, never the destination. Thanks for staying on this road with us. So we are going to do a podcast again in what feels like a tech news desert. So I was hoping we could catch up on some of the TV we've been watching, maybe revisit some things that we had sort of half-baked, not quite gotten through the last time we talked. Um, I know we both finished Stranger Things. And uh, I started one of our gaming assignments, which was Norco, and thought I could... Give kind of an early first couple of hours take on what seems to be just a universally loved darling. Um, you also have uh, Night Sky still we've been meaning to circle back on and Peaky Blinders, which sounds very Victorian, so probably in our real house.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. As is our as is our custom, we must have something that uh, was around the dawn of electricity. Uh, and certainly not in America, and see
1: how it goes. I I love it. Um, Yeah, I wanted to tip off with something very brief. I I don't want to get too into it, because I think I'm learning my lesson a little bit. I fairly savaged Westworld last week and gave the second episode of the season a taste about a week ago, and i got to say, slightly growing on me, moving up like from a two to maybe a three and a half which is mm. not impressive. Again, my standards are very low, uh, but I kind of see what they're trying to do, and I think there might be a little bit more twistiness in store to make it a little exciting. So I'm going to hold my final review and sort of work my way through the season and maybe let a couple of episodes pile up so I can binge it and not feel like, Ugh, that was a dissatisfying meal. Now let me wait a week for another one. Sure, sure. So we'll do that. Uh, Night Sky, tell me about it.
0: Yeah, I I think that, that uh I definitely had your thoughts about Night Sky in my brain when I was uh watching it um, all the way through. Um and uh it uh it is it is an incredibly slow boil. It is it is very slow. It is the kind of slow that um doesn't really care if you're watching or not. Slow, like I, I am. I am, I am blown away by how slow that show is, um, relative to uh, what is actually delivered by the end of it. I, I sort of felt. I think it really kind of hit me. Um, trying to kind of say a bit spoiler light here, but there is that. There is a. Uh, you'll know what I'm talking about. There is a. Uh, problem that happens when the husband um goes down there um and something happens down there but three quarters of the way through the the series and uh that's a real problem not just for him but for somebody else too and he sort of just leaves and <laughs> and uh, i mean i know he's busy he's got things to do but he uh, <laughs> he uh just we just need to move on with the story, I guess. And he's not nearly as concerned as I think I would be if that thing happened, and, and having to write what what occurred there. Um, and it almost seems like he had kind of had to have this sort of coming to Jesus moment further in to uh, appreciate the gravity of what happened, um, pun fully intended there. And uh, and then go solve that issue. And so I, I think that was the point at which I felt like this is more than sleepy. This is just a, uh, like it almost felt like a dream sequence because there's just things I would care about in that show that other people are just not concerned with at all. Um, so anyway, that became a, that was a bit, uh, Jarring. Um, I would say overall, the one thing that I would say, as much as I liked it, um, that easily could have been not a sci-fi show at all. There's so little, so blindingly little sci-fi in that sci-fi show that I mean, you can you can fill about eight minutes of it with sci-fi, and the rest of it was just a character drama about. Uh, folks of a certain age, and that's that's the that's the whole of it. Uh, so I think, um, I don't know, I'm uh. I'm I'm just a, it was a it was a weird choice for it to be built with such sci-fi. I mean it's obviously, you know, I mean you know this in the first 15 minutes of it. It's the, you know, the 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 couple finds a, a space pod that lets them warp up into, you know, some off-world place where it's a room that they've obviously been to a whole bunch of times and they have you know recliners and newspapers and stuff there and they are treating it with such uh normalcy like this this space pod is just a normal thing um and uh i think that like uh but but truly i mean outside of you know some of the like last 20 minute reveals of that show and a couple of other small bits i don't think that there's a lot of sci-fi in that if you were to take that show and you were to swap it out like goonie style and you were to uh Take out the spaceship and put in, let's say, a pirate ship with uh, with some gold doubloons and some you know some skeletons instead of uh, space pod mm-hmm. um, and some watchers. W- wouldn't that be exactly the same TV show? And you just wouldn't call it Night Sky; you'd call it Night Ship, and it would be the same television show completely. Like you can so interchangeably take the sci-fi out of that show that I. Have I have trouble having it be in the same peer group as a Star Trek or even a Battlestar Galactica, most of any or Westworld for that matter, not even close to sci-fi as far as I'm concerned. Like I just felt like it was just this weird like vehicle for the drama of the show instead. Um, Uh, A hundred percent,
1: yeah. It could just as easily be you know a historical fiction, Illuminati kind of mystical thing. goes to uh, might you throw J.K. Simmons in in alternate dimension, perhaps, that he steps through uh, that he's sounds like definitely a great TV show. Somebody doing a whole that. lot of stepping through doorways into other places. Uh, so yeah, I think that's a really fair critique. And that's part of why the burn for me at the end is they finally potentially expand the universe a little bit to make a point of what it's all about. And I don't know if they're getting another season. I don't know if they necessarily deserve another season, but they just needed a tiny bit more sizzle, is the Mm -hmm. thing, Uh, because very little of it was sci-fi. A lot of it was just these ancient doorways that you're popping all over and the secret society that is being very villainy to protect them.
0: Yes, 100%. And certainly the uh, piece that I think, um, t- to say a nice thing about it, I do think J.K. Simmons is is the guy. Like, he does outstanding work. He's a great actor. He channels the material extremely well. Most material he channels extremely well. I enjoy lots of what he does. Um, I don't know about particularly... Um, I think that the the thing about the... Um I'm really trying to stay away from spoilers here but there's a, a a a early on emotional situation with his wife that doesn't come to fruition until later in the show he finds out about what was about to happen uh later in the show and so he comes to grips with that and I think uh I think it was fantastically written I thought that he acted it incredibly well um I think his uh, understanding of th- that character's entire life with this woman and, you know, their relationship over the years is beautiful. Uh, one wonderful job. I, I, um, I am really impressed. I am really impressed with, with the acting chops and the, and the, that part of the story. Um, it's a uh, very sobering, you know, stuff in, in the beginning about, you know, just, Stories about getting old and, and what happens to, to folks, you know, as as uh, their years uh, uh, wane on, but. Um... Anyway, a uh, good show. I, I think that that could, if you were to have tightened that up to a drum and turned that into a two and a half hour movie, I feel like you would have earned a lot more of your stripes. Um, that did not need to be stretched across that many episodes. And I know I say that about some shows sometimes, and I don't mean to make it sound like I'm just an impatient dude that needs all of his content, you know, at breakneck speed all the time. I, I do think that the acting portions in there that were, marinating on the character development were good um but truly i mean and i think some of it was really just in a lot of ways throw away i, I felt like there was just you know there's the 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 guy that's in newark um the uh nick his name is in the yeah in, that in they there.
1: leave behind yeah that guy
0: yeah, that you could just throw him out like that. That whole part of that storyline was useless. It never, it never came to anything. It never did anything um, other than help the daughter a little bit understand what was going on. Um, a lot of V storyline around the daughter i thought was superfluous i don't think that that really drove a ton home i felt like it had so much to more more to do with their son um and the tragedy around their son than it did with anything to do with the granddaughter i don't i don't think that mattered a whole bunch um you know and like you know the fact that they ran you know and then uh, i know the you know the piece with jude and jude trying to find his dad um was a, a piece to kind of propel things forward and to get him to endear himself to the, to the couple. But there, we spent so much time on the chasing of the dad that and that barely felt like a footnote to me. I mean, we get to the end of it and I don't feel like there was enough resolution for that to have mattered. Um, All these pieces to me truly do feel like if you would have cut a ton of this out, you could have tightened this into a movie and it really would have felt great um, with incredible performances all around. You know, acting wasn't the problem, writing wasn't the problem. Um, A lot of fluff that did nothing by the end of the wrap is the problem for me. Um, So, you know, I I wouldn't say not see it. I think just on the performances of Sissy Spacek and and J.K. Simmons' uh, top flight stuff, they're awesome. Uh, I, I don't know
1: that this was worth the whole running time however no and it's it is a lot better when you can binge it uh, because that takes some of the sting out if you can just run right the heck through it yeah there's a certain formula that i think they were trying for and i do think it's an editing problem you have all of the component pieces there but there's this formula uh apple tv's invasion did this uh, they sort of stammered around it but it's I'm just thinking of a recent example of this formula, where you have four different families or four different storylines. What was the HBO uh, show recently? Post-apocalyptic, Big Freeze, uh, Virus Hits, Uh, we all like musical theater now, Hamlet. It'll come to me. Let me stick to Invasion. You know the show I'm thinking yeah. of. Was, I,
0: I saw the first episode of the one you're talking yeah. about. I don't remember. It it was also Sta- a little station, station, station 11. station 11. Got it in two. Got it in two.
1: So both of those, and it's a pretty common trope when you're dealing with this kind of f- fiction, where you're jumping through timelines a little bit. You're jumping through different core groups of characters that are on this adventure that is in some way connected to a central storyline, a central set piece, a central something. So an in Invasion, it was kids, the military guy, the one family, all going all over the place and coming together on this invasion and being brought together by the end of that season to accomplish a goal. It felt a lot like Night Sky was sort of trying to do that, where they had this nuclear family, but they had... Jude's storyline and Jude going off with the daughter and uh, Sissy Spacek to go look at this. And then you had the folks down in South America who had their own plot going, and they all sort of converged clumsily, and none of them really got the right amount of time. And you know, to your point, in some ways, they all got too much time, but it was sort of meandering, and it wasn't particularly focused to develop all of those characters Outside really the core of J.K. and Sissy, like their insular unit as a couple aging, you know, through the years, dealing with this personal tragedy, you know, that part was fairly very well worn, but the rest of it, like you said, felt forgettable and I think it could have been tightened up. You could have done a little bit more to make you care about some of those other characters for more than just the ultimate showdown where they were all going to coalesce around this one event. And so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do to see if they have more in mind if, like so many things, you know, it's part of a three-season arc, and this is just kind of clumsy exposition that they had to get out of the way to really hit a pinnacle. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's funny, it's not... On our agenda, so I'm gonna kind of throw it at you because I think it's interesting for this story point., uh, white Lotus. Mm. I, mm. you went through it. I gave it a solid five, I think uh, you know, uh, Steph and I watched it. We enjoyed it. We didn't love it. We didn't hate it. It was sort of blech. Um I know you felt a little more passionately about it, but I think in some ways it suffers from, very much the same flaws
0: yeah maybe so yeah I think as a comedy maybe it it got away with it a little bit better than Night Sky I think it asked less it was only six episodes rather than eight um I think so I think that there were some things that it had going for it. That said, I don't know that I really felt like any of the acting in in White Lotus was quite as good. Um, I, I thought Steve Zahn did pretty good. I, I, I he's usually a punching bag in most things, but I thought he did pretty good. Um, Kai, the 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 uh, boyfriend that was on the island um, that ends up being you know the <laughs> that, that 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 breaks into the room there. He he was he, I thought he did pretty well. Um, I gotta say though, like I just, I felt like the, the entirety of that was, I remember one of the times, one of the many times that I knocked Succession for being an awful show was that, that first season, I thought if you took that first season and you kind of have it's not arc play out right and it gets to the end of it and it really is just this sisyphean you know this kid wants to get out from under his dad he can't and that's it um i often think about whenever i see something like that or i try to artificially in my brain put uh, a a a a pin in it there's a um (laughs) there's a um the uh moulin rouge is certainly one of my favorite uh, uh musicals there there's uh there's a there's a point in that when they're you know the penniless playwright right you know and mcgregor he's he's writing the the show and and because he's got such this love for the bohemian way he is trying to write a a story about the evil uh the evil uh man, the word is escaping me because it's not uh, in my vernacular typically. The bad guy um, is... is is uh trying to uh be with the courtesan and the penniless sitar player instead of the penniless writer is what he writes himself as but he's he's basically writing in this story that love conquers all right and and that you know the the courtesan will not stay with the villain but will go with the penniless sitar player and so they're also using all the you know there's the the subtext of, uh, of that happening underneath the uh uh, Ewan McGregor and Nicole Kidman kind of, you know, running off and, and developing their relationship together under the guise of, of uh, practicing for the play um, that's supposed to come out. And the there's a scene when the guy that's financing it, um, uh, he kind of catches wise to the fact that he's, he's not actually going to get to be with Nicole Kidman. And so he throws a fit and says, this thing is going to get rewritten and the evil, uh, the evil, you know, antagonist is going to be the one that ends up being with the courtesan and that's how the story is going to end and then they actually uh, do a rehearsal of the story like that and they end the story like that and they show the evil antagonist and there's this camera pullback and he you know he looks really evil and then the curtains go down and the lights go out and that's the end of the story and you know and it's it's almost comical that they're, they're, they're filming it that way because of course that's not the story we want to see nor is that the story that the penniless writer is trying to write so I, as stupid as that would be as a story to tell anywhere at any time, the one thing I always said about uh, uh, Succession is that, like, at least in that first season, you sort of felt like he that that the son was actually going to get out from under his dad. Like, you really felt like, in some way, shape, or form, he was going to get away in all the ways that he was, you know, falling backwards into getting high and all, all of his problems, but then at the very last moment you know as much as he thought he was going to get away during that wedding he ends up not and then credits kind of roll and that's sort of the end of that season right um and then and then i felt like that was a fine season i don't really want any more succession and then they gave me two more seasons and i hated them increasingly over the following two seasons and just you know it ended up just being a retread of you know rich people doing you know really well and then they whine when they're doing a little less well than well and then you know we get another season and they do that again and over and over again. So what's funny to me is the thing I wanted was them to do one season of succession and then just put a bullet in it. Well, that's kind of what White Lotus is, right? Like it's a whole bunch of rich people that kind of like go on this thing and they have a little bit less of a perfect time. And then somehow all the rich people do really well The poor people do terrible and or die and, and then, and then credits roll and that's the end of it. And it's one season and it's done. And I hated it. I, I, that's what I wanted out of, out of, out of succession to think that it would be a better show, but it's not. I mean, I think the, the problem for me is exactly that. It's like, you're with these characters for so long, you want to see any of that struggle pay off and none of it does like the evil stay evil, the rich stay rich, the poor stay downtrodden trodden underfoot. And then they roll the credits at the end. Like we, nothing changes for anybody unless you're poor. And then it just goes worse for you. Uh, I mean, when you really think about the idea that there was that, that quote unquote robbery that happened in the room with Kai, the, the, the there really wasn't anything that happened to anybody. What did he get? A, he get knocked in the face a couple of times, Steve Zondin, And then he runs away. The, the, the way that that resolved itself, they got all their property back, even though they didn't need any of it, right? They, they got all their property back, including the stuff that was stolen and the room being comped. So they actually got more money there than when they started. The entirety of the family unit pulls together and becomes a closer family unit than they ever have before. They're a, 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 a more developed and, and, and excited you know, to see each other family than they were at the start of that uh, because of this robbery that didn't really happen. In the meantime, that guy loses his job and <laughs> is, is, is not able to afford the lawyer that was actually going to fight against the rich people. And really, and that, that just happened over and over and over and over and over. The, the newlywed couple, she actually gets broken. Her entire spirit is broken. She has to just be good and listen because money matters and nothing else. And everything that happened in that show, like anybody who tried to buck against the system, anybody who tried to do something out of something thing you've got the 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 kid that was in that family just wanted to go you know splashing around on the boat and the only way he could do that was literally run away from his home and <laughs> was to do that the the spa um uh woman that was helping the other woman the, the kind of dicey woman there she wanted she wrote up her business plan was constantly you know padding this rich woman's feelings over and over again uh, all to find out that she's just going to get a wad of money and it won't be anywhere near a business plan you know worthy amount of cash and then she's just riding off into the sunset while the rich lady has a relationship and gets to go off to aspen and do all that um the Kai is, you know, this oppressed Hawaiian native that loses his job and can't have a lawyer anymore. Um, Armand is a recovering addict that is driven to absolute insanity and gets murdered. Like anybody that was anything other than the rich elite had a terrible time and had was worse off than the beginning of the show. But anybody who was at that level only did amazing and was more amazing at the end of it than they started. That was the story and that's the story of succession that's the story here so it might just be my personal baggage that I would hope that that isn't just how life works, but if that's the way that these stories are gonna to be told over and over, then I'm sure I'm gonna hate all of them. But that's, I, I felt like the the problem with that, uh, I think narratively, whether you're talking about Night Sky or you're talking about White Lotus, when you're bouncing between various you know groups of people, you have an opportunity to tell me why we're bouncing through all of them with the understanding that you're either going to pull them all together or some big event is going to pull them all together or something is going to happen that is important. But when you think about it, that didn't even happen in White Lotus. At least in Night Sky, everybody pulled together for the one event, albeit we took way too long for not enough action at the end of that. But with White Lotus, they were just all noodling around with their, you know, fancy breakfasts and their fancy dinners and their (laughs) fancy cocktails. And then they got on the fancy plane and went home. And, you know, and, and all the rich people did great. And all the poor people are very sad. Now and,
1: and then the credits <laughs> roll. Uh, well, so yeah. I mean, I think there's there's a message there. It may be a, a little bit on the nose. A little bit on the nose. Uh, you know, the, the insolubility of wealth. That uh, you know, if you're rich enough, you can burn the place to the ground, then get on your plane or your PJ, as we might call mm-hmm. it, and fly. We might home. call it. Yep. Uh, so. All of that is a fantastic way to get into something that I think we both really enjoyed, which is Stranger Things. And what
0: a great segue with Stranger Things because that's another one that actually had very disparate families and settings and groupings of people with totally different parallel story threads going.
1: With absolute necessity as to why, with a rock solid precision, whether you are here or you are in the upside down, we are coordinated, we are doing this on time, we are flashing the lights at the right time, and all of the stories come together with such precision. Uh, Such precision. Let me get this one bit out of the way, because I was really feeling this. Uh, So Stranger Things this season was a season in two parts with Mm -hmm. a relatively brief hiatus, I guess, a month or two between them. So it was a few weeks, yeah. Yeah, I'm not even sure what the thinking was. But the really jaw-dropping thing, I think it was, what, six episodes in total? Or seven episodes? So it was like four episodes in the first part. But the second part was only two episodes, big old air quotes when I call them episodes, one of which was an hour and 40 minutes, and the other was two and a half hours. Two and a half hours. Hmm. Which, those are not episodes, those are movies. Those are movies. Uh, straight-up movies. And so binge this show is what I would say, and Mm -hmm. pause and piss when you need to, and don't really worry about the runtime because they're just like any other episode. You're just going to stop when you have to. They just did not feel that there was a place to have a natural stopping point in those last two episodes, I guess, which I agree to disagree. Uh, You know, I think... The biggest thing that I would say is, like all of their other seasons, there was an extended coda, an extended Eye of the Storm, which they've done in every one of the seasons where everybody's happy for a minute, and then we pan out and more doom this way cometh. So, you know, I get that that would have been a very unsatisfying episode on its own, because there was so much to wrap up and tighten up and bring everybody together. But I think they could have done that a little cleaner. Zooming out, though, I've got to say I was a little skeptical going into this season since, uh, you know, talking about Night Sky, Stranger Things, the two things. That we don't get a lot these days, and we had a lot in the '80s, which is where Stranger Things takes a lot of its inspiration, is shows with children and shows with old people, or movies with children or movies with old people. You mentioned Goonies as an analog to Night Sky, which I think is fantastic. It, you know, uh, Cocoon, but also Batteries Not Included involved mm-hmm. a lot of older people and you know, tiny little robots flying around, making their lives better. And we had these things. We had E.T., we had all of these, it, you know, which is a horror movie featuring children that was really chill, chilling. But mm-hmm, you just mm-hmm. don't get shows that star children anymore that are serious material for grownups. Stranger Things has always been that through three seasons. However, all of the actors are now in their late 30s to early 40s playing sure. teenagers. So, <laughs> yes. You know, I was a, a little nervous jumping in that they were going to make that jump from kids to high school teenagers in a responsible way and young adults. And they really nailed it. They made me care about some of these characters in ways I hadn't in the prior seasons and gave them all a lot of space for growth and development, introduced the right new characters to balance this ensemble. In a cool way, um, you know. I think the last time we talked about this, uh, you had mentioned Vecna a little bit and taking the big baddie instead of something that was ethereal or mind controlly or you know the demogorgon, and making it human, making it almost like a, a Freddy kind Rick. of uh, you know throwback to this sort of like relatable metacognitive character that could talk and terrorize and have his own motivations. How do you feel about where we ended up on the second half? Because we left off in the first half not really knowing what Vecna was all about. Now that we've had the full reveal, how do you feel they tied it together? I think they did a
0: good job uh, tying it together. I, I'm going to say that I was a, just a touch, um, touch exhausted that they... Uh, decided to continue to nest uh, the 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 baddies. So we started with the Demogorgon and the Mind flare and then the you know, and now Vecna, and how every one of them is connected. Everyone is you know like a piece of the next one, kind of coming in, and coming in, and coming in. So I I think that that part sort of felt like you know is is it really that the upside down is just one big bad guy that just has splintered off into a bunch of bad guys like that's a weird thing to do at some point like can't they just be bad guys you know what i mean like the the the, the fact that like everything was all just like that that Vecna was the 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 problem the whole time, like from episode one forward. Like it was right. that he was the problem the whole time. That was a weird sort of thing. Like I I I felt like, you know, they're constantly moving the goalposts. You know what I mean? Like every season to be, you know, no, no, it's actually the Mind Flayer that was, you know, responsible for the Demogorgon, and no, 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 it was Vecna that was responsible for the Mind Flayer, and like so like they keep pushing it farther and farther out. Um so that part was a little bit weird. I do think that there was a personification of the bad guy now, as opposed to just being a big CG scary thing. Um, and that's that's cool because it does feel like you can have a motivation now and something you can identify with. Um, it did make sense too. I think the way that they told his story um, and why he's as angry as he is, I think was good. Um, I think they could do a little bit more with that with him. I think maybe, you know, we'll see what they do in the final season, but um, there was a great kind of the end of the first half of season four, you know, when they kind of do the big reveal with him and who he really is and where he came from. I think that there's a good, the storytelling there is top flight with the, with the, uh, uh, with Nancy being there and kind of, you know, seeing what was going on and then. Uh, 11 learning about that you know with with her you know being inside of the nina pod and stuff like great montage and like, yeah yeah outstanding like like weaving those two two together it's not fair to this show because it, it it feels very uh silly and big and dumb and popcorny sometimes but uh the craft of that show not even just in the rendering of like how quality it is on screen but also the um just the cleverness of how the story is told sometimes that was a great example of that um really really got to give them a ton of ton of credit there uh i i i really um you know i mean there's that Cole uh uh kate bush song that everybody's you know endlessly replaying on spotify now and um that that whole scene was amazing stuff in the graveyard you know in the first half of the season also and um really good um uh I talked to uh, a friend of mine yesterday and uh the the uh scene with lucas when uh you know some of the uh, end stuff was happening um and uh I'm trying to stay spoiler light on this but um where he's kind of upset about something that's going on there was a terrific amount of of acting like real acting he was doing you know what i mean how sad he was about what was happening in real time uh did fantastic job there um i did see a note uh, not to move too far ahead but i did see a note that the duffer brothers have already committed to a time jump for next season for the final season season five um because they just have bold-faced acknowledged the fact that everybody's getting you know that's right <laughs> not freshman age anymore <laughs> it's a little there's only so much that make up and you know stu- i mean a couple of them i would say will and and uh lucas both of them look way too old for fresh... I mean, they're, you know, I mean, I've seen some, you know, early development in teens before, but, <laughs> m- m- like, they they look like seniors or even college kids. Like, they look much older. Like, there's, you know, there's yeah, nothing to now, do there.
1: they're a Cracker Barrel, dude. First thing in the morning, 7 a.m., they, they're there with, <laughs> with their newspaper and they're... Scrapple, like, <laughs> <That's laughs> there's...
0: <right. laughs> they are, that's right.
1: And they're cranberry juice, so <laughs> they've got everything they need to get through the day. Uh, they're, yeah. they're opening up yeah. their little pill cases and... <laughs> That's it. <laughs> well, putting on their readers to order the same thing they've been ordering for the last thirty years. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's true. Yeah, they, they, they are several of them. Yeah, it's, it's, you have. I mean, they don't have a choice now. They have to time jump it. So um, they did also say they're going to dive directly into the story. Um, so there's not going to be a whole bunch of preamble in that final season, which I'm also happy about. I don't think we need to, you know, waste a whole bunch more time explaining anything because you know the upside down is here and you know and and uh, you know all that. And like, we can just kind of dispense with that. Um, but yeah, uh, phenomenal stuff. I don't require that show to be, you know, particularly, you know, heady and deep, but I don't think it needs it. I think that it's, it is an earnest show. I think it, it, it survives on some great acting. Um, and yeah, I mean, to call back to kind of what we've been talking about here, you have the storyline in Indiana and Hawkins that's going on, that's full throttle. You have some of the family out in California, right? They were in California at the beginning of it. You've got that going on. Also full throttle, you have a road trip all the way out to Nevada, I guess it was. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got Russia, you've got going on like a full storyline going on in Russia. And then sometimes the upside down when you also add that in. So you're talking about five separate groups of people and five separate you know, stuff going on at, the, in, at various points. And man, just all of it was relevant. All of it was fun and engaging. And every time you moved to a different group, you just wanted to know what was happening with that group too. Yep. um that's that to me is you know is truly where I think these other shows we've been talking about have lapsed somewhat because it really did feel like in a lot of cases most of the times you moved to other groups, you really didn't care what was going on, and um every one of those in storylines were were gripping and engaging and interesting and fun and uh and full of the juiciest. Tastiest sound effects
1: that oh, man. any sound effect <laughs> engineer has ever rendered to anything. Yeah, we 100% are going to have to spin an episode or two in my living room. I ended up watching almost the whole show in my bedroom with headphones, and it, that hurts my heart a little bit. Like, I want mm. helicopters flying over, pencils crushing, like all of that good stuff. Uh, they love sound design. Uh, which has always been the case. It's not just that the soundtrack is very synthy or authentic to an 80s synth soundtrack. It's that it's also very fresh. <laughs> it's clean, it's fresh, it's modern and nostalgic all at once. And they do that throughout. And that's true with the imagery too. This uh, classic horror imagery of, you know, Max being lifted up in the graveyard is just that kind of like iconic thing that would have been, the cover image for a VHS back in the mid 80s and that it would would have just been her floating and maybe a headstone somewhere and we all would have known instantly what that was all about just from that one shot and that's mm-hmm. so beautiful to have that kind of craft going on yeah i can't say enough good about it again other than the last two episodes being Unbalancedly long for episodes, mm-hmm. but again, it's Netflix, and if you can watch all of it whenever you want, does it really matter? In the, sure, in the least. Sure. But yeah, I think mm-hmm. it, what you said about the different storylines. There has very rarely been a show that's done this where I haven't occasionally had the ah, oh, we got to get through this storyline so we can get back to the cool part, mm-hmm. and.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Every last bit of it, wherever you were, whenever you were, every character, every storyline, even the kids going on their murderous rampage to avenge their girlfriend's death, like even that had weight and interest and intrigue to it. So, yeah, it's what all shows should very much be.
0: Definitely. Definitely. Just the whole why am I here? You know, I mean, I, it's the kind of writing 101 of, of you know, I, I need to acquit the time that I'm demanding of the audience, of the actors, of the settings, of everything. You know, what, what, why, why am I bringing these people on this, this journey, right? Like, why do I have to switch places? Why do I have to switch cast members? Why do I have to switch anything? And I, I think they really, that show. Um, man, they, they really hit that. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a terrific show in, in general, but I, I think that the craft of how it is told, um, I don't think I ever gave it quite as much credit. As much as I always enjoyed it, um, I don't think I ever uh, gave it as much credit for just being so so beautifully shot so beautifully scored and and uh, the all of the everything from visual effects to sound effects to, and Foley work to everything that that goes into it um, there's another scene uh, there's that scene with 11 uh, when uh, she gets out of the, the the bunker and there's the helicopter do you remember the helicopter yes. the, that was there and she you know she kind of comes online with her powers and that that one scene with the helicopter where it's sort of uh, 90 degrees sideways right and it's it's plummeting downwards um towards the and then you know the big big explosion they did and just the 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 framing of that shot was oh it was off the meter it was such a great great scene right there and the the way the propeller was spinning it was almost like it was slicing down into what was going on and the where the camera was to kind of the color composition I mean all of the stuff I mean it was just like just, just a lot of love. They, they loved making this. You can feel that they loved making this, and I, am I'm, I'm, I. It's hard not to love it with them, you know, unless it's truly a, a, a um, genre or even, you know, an execution that, that, uh, you know, in the case of two and a half hour episodes. But, um, but yeah, it, it is, uh, it is, it is, it is easy to get swept up, and I, I it, it should absolutely be the tentpole that it is. I, I, I liked it very much. I'm, gr- I'm glad to watch it.
1: Yeah, uh, so I think everybody, regardless of genre, if you're avoiding the show because you don't really like 80s horror, sci-fi, it's one of those shows that just kicks outside of its genre, and it's just good for everybody. Uh, it would take a lot to not to not like it. Um, so let me take that into something that I'm supposed to like and I'm not so sure that I do, which is do Norco. So... Norco is a PC game came out on Game Pass. It's been on Steam for a little while. It is a click text adventure and I I have I have notes. So in us discussing our homework, we were trying to decide, you know, if we should split up and try two different games and uh, I looked at the Quick, you know, reviews and summary for Norco about being a science fiction uh, game about finding and losing religion and uh, the fundamental nature of the soul. And was like, yes, uh, you know, sign me up. I like all of those things. Uh, let me just put on my spectacles and uh, you know get as professorial as I possibly can about this thing. So. Uh, Let's start with the art style. Uh, and I want to say any negative opinions I'm about to share. I am about four hours in. I think I'm about act two. The full game is, I think, about 10 hours to play through. So I'm a good chunk in. I've seen a lot and I don't really feel like I've done a lot, which is my first kind of comment on this. It's very text heavy which is okay. I I don't have an issue with a text-based game, but there's very little decision-making, there's very little doing, even within the confines of that text adventure. And so what I mean by that is, if you think about an old-style RPG where there's text trees and you need to go through the text trees to gain vital bits of information, to move the story forward, sometimes when you do this well, you can sort of choose your dialogue options, and those will branch off, and you'll have some options and not others, depending on how you're role-playing, how you're doing your character. For almost 90% of the interactions here, you have to click through all of them. And so any given text interaction, you'll have you know three options, tell me about my mom, tell me about my brother, how's the weather, and whatever order you go through those, you'll still come back to that main menu to go through the other two. And so to me that loses something of the fun in it. There's mm. something in these text kind of adventure games going all the way back to freaking Zork in like 1981, where depending on the choices you make, the things you say, some trees will be closed off to you. Others will open up. Some may not matter very much, other than the dialogue choices and how your character is treated, and that may just be personal choice and how you want to play the game, how you want to role play. And this game started off so much like that. It has this very beautiful opening prologue narrative, and uh, you know, it's just little things like you know, you were riding along. The train through the Midwest and the night sky was above, and the sounds were loud and thunderous. And the choices are I couldn't sleep, or I haven't been able to sleep without that noise since. And mm-hmm. you know, it's very poetic and beautiful. Mm-hmm. And then all of that kind of went away about 10 minutes in, and you just had to sort of click through everything and i mean click through everything astutiously to make sure you didn't miss anything in a room that would otherwise block you from doing anything else at one point early on there's a conversation where you walk into a bar and you found a guy that you've got to talk to and i thought i got through everything and i went to leave and my companion said uh we better finish talking to him so we can figure out what to do next (laughs) Like It didn't let me leave, so I had to finish absolutely every dialogue tree. And so, the dialogue is very interesting. The story that's being told is broad and weird and fascinating, but even more so than your average walking simulator. And I think something like Firewatch, if they did this game in that style, might earn it more forgiveness on some of the linearity of it mm-hmm. because at least then you're exploring a world, you're invested in something. And in this, I just don't know if this game was the right medium to tell this very interesting story that they're trying to tell. Uh, you know, the second piece to this is all of the art is very 8 bit, and that is very what is the word I'm looking for? offensive to me for a game that is a (laughs) 2D text adventure, because it's just backdrops with little bits of animation here and there behind the walls of text that you're actually interacting with. And I don't know why you wouldn't just make that beautiful. Uh, You know, There's Mm. no gameplay to it. There's no reason for it to be in that style. And we've talked about this with Inscription in particular, because that was kind of an inflection point where... I was fed up with 8-bit. You were ready to roll around that one more trip around the sun, and it broke you on it. And I think it broke you on it, if I remember, because it was such a poor implementation that didn't really serve anything. Mm. And I, I, I would, and I, I mean to ask you a question about
0: this, too. I think that one in particular, because that act 2 in, in, in was. Uh, was was truly 8-bit and i think i made a distinction back then that there's a difference between 8-bit and 16-bit for me and then 8-bit and 16-bit plus where there is a where there's like lighting engines and stuff that are affecting pixels inside of an 8 or 16-bit environment so that was part of why i hated inscriptions second act in particular other than all of the acts taking way too long and being way too random um in their completions like there were other problems with that game for me but um but that but i think but i and i know we'll probably vacillate on this as time goes on and implementations happen in various ways but i guess my question for norco is does where does that land on that 8-bit, 8-bit plus, 16-bit, 16-bit plus, like where would you put that? Throwing out examples like Dead Cells, right, which I think was uh, quite a beautiful uh, version of pixel art, right? And I think that was closer to a 16-bit and more like a 16-bit plus because there was a lighting engine behind it. Um, There's another one that I actually just uh, got on Steam sale and I have not played it yet, so I can't speak to it, but uh, Dark Light isn't one that actually just came out. And if you look at some of the YouTube videos for that, that's like a 16-bit plus looking uh, game. So I, I feel like there's a good stylistic version of that. Um, and so where would you put that in the spectrum for Norco? Uh, I,
1: I think I would probably have to put it on stock bone standard 16-bit if I'm trying to remember accurately and be fair to those retro consoles. There's not a whole lot of parallax going on. A lot of the art is very pixely. There are a couple of items that look straight out of NES Contra uh, in terms Mm. of overall graphic. I think technically it's res to 16-bit, but it is very low fidelity. Uh, There's not lighting engines or pixelarty things happening, and that's part of why it bothers me so much, because it's also very static. There's very little movement in it a lot of it is just still shots with maybe you know a mouth moving on an otherwise totally still locked guy and i don't know man like you could have done this in a graphic novel style and had really beautiful hand drawn artwork for the few scenes that you needed there're just other elements if you're going for a text based adventure to make the scenery nicer, you know, or you're doing this for an important purpose. And I'll have to look at this after the show to see how they define the art style. But you know, now that I'm, the more I'm thinking about it, you have your characters, your companions, and their little icons remind me very much of uh, uh, it's really a, a nest game. Uh, you know, I'm thinking. Battletoads was uh, NAS, Metal Gear was NAS, and you know, especially like the little small icons of the guys talking to you in Metal Gear, like it's that kind of look. So mm-hmm. it would be a stretch for me to call it, you know, it's not like when Star Wars on Super NAS or Super Mario World came out and you had like this great parallax and all of these higher res. It's definitely... 8-bit looking you can see the Hmm. pixels strongly
0: Uh, so less yeah i mean part of the i mean thinking back to the technicals of that right like the 8-bit part versus the 16-bit part i remember reading way too many magazines back then and salivating over the technical details the amount of colors that could be displayed on screen at one time drastically increased when you got to 16-bit right and that allowed for what we now no, it is not. But at the time, it looked like they were transparencies, right? Like you could actually have a light blue over top, uh, a you know, another color, you know, to to like a like a yellow so that it would like, you know, fade in green and like in ways that like had like more gradients and more actual color information on screen. So you're saying with Narco that that it's not
1: that like that it doesn't have any transparencies or anything like that? It sure doesn't. Um. I mean, again, I'm as we're talking, I'm looking through all kinds of reviews for this. and, you know, everybody just uh, loves this game. And so uh, they're saying it's a pixel art lover's dream. I guess that's true, and I'm just not really a pixel art lover. Hmm. Uh, especially again, not when it's coupled with a purely text adventure and the artwork is there just for scenery, just for context, like a graphic novel would be where you're reading a story and the images are supposed to be adding something. And I didn't really feel like that was the case an mm. awful lot so far. Again, I'm probably a solid halfway through. Uh, there are some light gameplay elements where uh, you at know, one point you're acting out a puppet show, but the gameplay element doesn't really have anything to do with that you're steering this boat around a bayou and it's almost like asteroid it's line art at that point mm. so well. yeah i i i obviously need to finish the story i think the story is the point it's what everybody loves about this game and so i'm not going to pass full judgment on it but i think what I feel is what I felt before we started playing Inscription, and the point that I made at the time, which I think holds true now, I feel like pixel art is. We talk about this every year. You know, there's certain movies that come out, and we just say, "Well, that's Oscar bait," uh, because mm-hmm. there's like a certain pompous, uh, heavy-weighted storyline where we're going to deal with somebody who is particularly downtrodden and it's going to be some very well-known actor playing some role that's stunning in how humble and broken they are and maybe maybe they only have a volleyball for a friend as an example <laughs> you know it's but it's something and we all know what it is when we see it, it, it it's got a certain artwork to it a certain font that comes on and You just know why they're making it. And I Mm -hmm. feel like pixel art is kind of that uh, virtue symbol. You know, it's like virtue signaling to game lovers that this is a serious game and it's so serious that we're not going to even bother with graphics because you're going to love it. And it is just gritty and dark and got these little uh, award flags showing, you know, Cannes Film Festival, you know, the. 2022 Game Award finalist, nominee, all over the cover art, and I really think that I, I think when you go back to the Jonathan Blow games and uh, Fez and all of these pixel art, game, like it's become a way of saying my game is important rather than choosing an art style that necessarily fits your story and. That virtue signaling for me on this most important of games that deals with raging societal issues of corporate waste and greed and all of the rich people getting on their PJs and flying home after burning a resort to the ground, uh, you know. It's, oh,
0: so I love it. Is what you're saying? It's definitely
1: for you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So far, from what I can tell, poor people fare very well, and the meek shall inherit the earth. Uh, so. uh Great. I don't know. So what? So I think what you're telling me is pixel art is
0: the kombucha of game design.
1: It is the man bun of kombucha drinking game design. <laughs> I Yes, it, it's exactly that. And we have the power. We have a lot of graphical power. It's not all going to mine Bitcoin, at least not anymore. And so let's put it to games, like God intended. Uh, And so, yeah, that's my totally incomplete review of Norco. I'm sure next week, just like I have with Westworld, I'll come back and tell you that it's the best game I have ever played, and everybody should be playing it. That's it. If you
0: don't show up with a man bun, though, I'm gonna be so mad. Like I, like that's. You really have to sell the the, the comedic take. We'll uh, we'll change the logo for the podcast and just have your face with a man bun on it if we have to. But we are gonna we are all in on the joke when it happens, dude. We're gonna get there.
1: That that's right. I'm gonna have a little um, hemp necklace, maybe a seashell. It'll be perfectly fine. It's it's all that slow movement to the beach, a guitar, a dog, and Norco, and Norco. That's it. So you and that's just, it. We've found the final piece. Just add it on. The final piece. Uh so yeah, I know you haven't started the other game yet, correct? I haven't so I, I do have
0: one to tag in here at the 11th hour to 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 speak to that does sound like the opposite of Norco so I think that maybe that'll be a good plant palette palate cleanser for us to close out on um it is uh I, I, I picked up a, I guess four or five games on steam sale which is to say you know they were basically free so I you know just <laughs> I have a wish list that goes on on steam and sometimes there's games where I'm interested maybe not you know over the moon for but I would like to least check them out you know and so it's great to kind of have them in your wish list and then when a steam sale comes along and you get an avalanche of notifications from steam saying hey they're basically giving all these away do you want them and i say yes so the one and i actually don't even know if this one was on sale uh, relative to the rest of them but it was definitely you know uh uh quite affordable uh please fix the road is the name of the game uh and uh i had seen a um it was like an animated gif i think it was um of 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 the design of this game and uh i want to say it was on kotaku maybe i I don't remember where i saw it but uh, i was so captivated by just the uh the the overly animated 3D presentation of this game that was almost comical, um, almost Stranger Things-like in its excess, if you will. And uh, it was uh, extremely strong, and it it's sort of a... Um, it is uh very simply told it is a uh 3d uh, fully 3d rendered isometric um puzzle game and you are looking at um there's a car that it starts with and then there's a, a a a destination on the other side of this very tiny it looks like a um, a three-dimensional, uh, diorama, almost of a, of a, uh, of a, think about like a small, uh, model city. And so there'll be a car here and then there'll be a flag on the other side of that board. And then there is supposed to be a road that connects the car to the flag. So you can beat the, beat the level. I am describing all of this and saying that the game is completely without, um, Text. It is a text-free game. Um, Even the actual settings games has zero text. And I mean that like it is truly only pictures and only gorgeous 3D renderings and animations. Zero text. There is no text. There's no talking. There's no writing of any kind. It is truly only graphics. Um, So this is where all the Narco went, is is what you're (laughs) looking for. (laughs) So if you just pour half a bottle of this into your Narco, I think it is game of the year. But um, so the... And the goal is to get the car to the flag. That's all you got to do. And so invariably the first level there's or second level or whatever as they're tutorializing it and again they have to tutorialize it visually because there is zero text and zero audio there's nothing and not zero audio but zero voiceover rather um, to to explain anything so you literally have an icon that shows how many pieces of a road or how many pieces how many bombs to blow up pieces of a road that you have and you have to use that amount of pieces in order to create a path for your car to go from here to there and when you do do that as soon as you're done the entirety of the map uh rolls in on itself like in um, Inception like it just it it is this huge totally unnecessary animation and and rolls the the, the whole world away changes the time of day in in real time like real time lighting changes the time of day the car that you actually got to the flag gets booted off off the screen and flies into a fiery wreck and a brand new board is created and a totally different puzzle and then you have to do that one and now this one might be you have a couple more pieces or now you have to destroy pieces instead of add pieces or do destroy and add pieces to make it, um, then another one will be for a boat and you have to get a boat down a waterway instead of a car down a road or whatever. Um, in, any way, in any case um, really only maybe you know half an hour into it or so if, if that I you know and I, I replayed some of the missions to kind of get a better feel for what they were doing try to understand some of the options and stuff because again as I driven this point, point home too much about this game there is no text and there is no voiceover mm-hmm. um, so it, it's almost a little bit obtuse in that way uh, that you sort of have to pay attention to what it is they mean for you to do at, at points so it did take a couple of minutes for me to kind of catch it so the ui isn't rock solid and perfect but it's enough that you can catch on here in just a couple of minutes um boy it is uh, a ridiculous amount of fun it is a ridiculous amount of fun it is it is really a great little bite size jump into a couple puzzles and jump back out um and just uh enjoy this like uh, it feels I, I don't actually know what other platforms it's on besides steam but it totally feels like you could do this on mobile there would be a great little mobile game um the rendering required uh at some point probably would have made me think that you don't want to do this on mobile just because of the graphical fidelity hit but at this point you know phones are so powerful I don't I don't know that that's really a deal breaker anymore um would be a great lean back on a console also I would love to to sit down in the living room and mess around with you know th- these little puzzles that i could just pop in for 10 minutes uh you know shameless plug for xbox series x quick resume so you can <laughs> jump in and out of that you know pin it to your quick resume and jump in do a couple puzzles jump back out that would be a fantastic use of this game um but really highest recommendation please fix the road is the name of the title and i uh, absolutely I just over the moon gushing about it just because i think it was it is a very simple idea um that is so ridiculously overwrought that uh, uh, it really just captures your your, your your brain because of how beautiful it is, that they, what they created.
1: So I just went feverishly looking for when this will be available on Game Pass and consoles, and uh, that does not look like that's in the cards. It just hit Steam, and it's going to stay there, a couple other stores, for a while. But very interesting, it was a Flash game in 2014. A flash game, really? Yeah, wow. that's how it started life. And so they've just spent eight years making it um, really nice. But uh, apparently, there is some discussion about, you know, if it's doing well on Steam, maybe we'll take it to other places. But it seems like Steam is the place to get it. And my Steam Deck is about to ship. So. Uh, Yes, take us home on a high note here. I heard you got your email. I did get my email. And so, you know, I realized, uh, as I sometimes do, living, you know, the white lotus life, I went with the higher storage version, and that might be why I got my email a little bit before yours. I, you know, I don't know what model you picked. Storage is kind of nonsense anyway on these things since we're mostly streaming from another machine for higher-powered stuff. But, I mean, unlike... Apple products, it wasn't like, well, if you get the higher storage one, it's $1,000. It was, you know, 500 instead of $400. So it was like all very reasonable in pricing. Sure. So yeah, that's going to come soon. I hope to be able to actually review it on a podcast uh, coming soon. I loved the idea of the Steam controller long before it came out. I had such high hopes for that. The idea of the um, track paddy kind of D-pads that give you that PC precision, but also that gamepad feel. I was a little let down by the Steam Controller. Uh, There are a couple of critical flaws. Non-rechargeable battery was a huge non-starter for me. Uh, The overall feel and weight of it after years of watching Microsoft refine controllers into a sweet science was pretty Mm -hmm. high up. But again, my expectations are way up that the Steam Deck is really going to nail that Portable PC control scheme better than some other guys have done, and it really looks, from the early reviews, like they've refined it and they've really gone for the gold. So, looking forward to it, and this seems like an absolutely perfect game for that kind of console.
0: Can't beat it, right? Yeah, that'll be that'll be great. Yeah, yeah, I can't wait to hear uh, more about it. I'm hoping, I, I you and I had similar. Um, Uh, what was the date, July through Q3, I guess they were saying Q3 was when we were supposed to have shipments. And when we both, uh, we uh, reserved ours, uh, you know, the $5 reservation or whatever it is. um, uh, We both got the same date there. I did also do that higher end one that you were talking about, because you're right, it really isn't. A whole lot more money to just get the one with the more storage. It was, you know, you're right. It was a difference between four and five hundred dollars, I think. Um, but uh, I'm hoping they're supposed to be sending emails out every Monday and every Thursday. So you got yours this Monday. So got I'm it. hoping, you know, yeah. either tomorrow or next Monday or next Thursday or. Sometime in the near future, I will get the same thing and um, see if I can uh, I can I can have one in hand. I think that'll be uh, that'll be a great. I would love to to review it. There's a lot that I want to bang against that thing. There's a, yep. there's a lot to to explore there as as to uh, its viability as a actual Windows box in terms and I, I mean that in terms of like a desktop experience. If you were to dock it, right? Like I'd love to know about that. You know what I mean? What it can do? You know um you know I'm sure I'm not going to be uh, writing the next uh, you know, great American spreadsheet on it, or anything, or you know, any any real heavy lifting. But uh, uh, it would be interesting to see how powerful it is just as a pure compute device. Um, yep. I'd love to hear your your thoughts on some of the the audio capabilities for it as well. You know, I think there's some some really interesting. Uh, potential for there beyond it being a gaming device, right? That just runs Steam on the go.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think Bitwig is going on it straight away as soon as I dual boot, dual boot to Windows. And I'm actually interested because Bitwig also runs on Linux. And so mm. interested to compare and contrast. I already have a low enough tolerance to even Windows for audio, you know that's a big reason why I use Mac, because I'm lazy and I plug it in and it works. So dealing with Jack and some of the Linux audio stack may be too much for me beyond the novelty, mm-hmm. but I'm very curious to see how Bitwig in particular has done the drivers to make that work. They've just put out on um, clap, which is a new updated version of a VST kind of format, but it's open rather than owned by Steinberg and licensed and so they're really pushing hard to get uh, large audio companies to come on the road, finally, to do that, to be cross-platform. There's a couple others out there. LV2 is primarily Linux as a plug-in architecture, but it's, it's a fresh world to see that because it really opens up the universe to the idea of having dedicated boxes that are running a Linux backend that you don't see, that you don't license, so that it's just doing the one function of the DAW or the beatbox or whatever you want, and able to run those plugins that you built on Windows that now you've ported to your dedicated device. And we had that years ago with like those Muse rack units that would actually load up VSTs into a rack unit. It was just like a headless PC that could run plugins and different things. I think we might be finally getting to that promise fulfilled. And with these tiny PCs like the Steam Deck, it's really going to be great. I mean, you remember years ago, I had that Lilyput uh, little monitor with my Energy XT and my keyboard rig so I could run a live rig of VSTs. And it was just woefully unstable and crashed all the time. But that idea of being able to get that horsepower, that beauty of the endless universe of plugins into small and portable hardware that you can take with you. It's such a freaking dream. So, yeah. It'll be great. But I think that's um that's a podcast. That's a podcast everybody, yeah. So, yeah. let's do it again next week and keep tuning in if any of you have topic interests that we're not covering enough of, if you want to hear more about our opinions on rich people and the plates of the poor or fixing roads, send us a note. That's what we
0: do here. Just those two things. Bye, everybody. See you.